Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to spend today and next week in this passage. We'll pick up next week with verse 18 and go through the end of the chapter. But today we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 1 through 18. If you own a Bible, please get that out and follow along with me. If you don't own a Bible, please reach out in front of you. Probably in those pews, those seats in front of you, there should be a black Bible. Uh, please open up that Bible, follow along. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible as a gift from our church family to you. All right? So let us read from the word of the Lord together here today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife and do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out on the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope that the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much to reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not even we do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I've made no use of any of these not rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For, I do, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not my, of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would illuminate Christ through the illumination of your text here 
this morning. We thank you for Jesus. We are thankful for what he has accomplished and what he has done, what he has illustrated before us. May it be, and he be ever present in this place today. May you save the lost. May you sanctify the believer. May you grow us in maturity and faithfulness. In Christ's name, we pray, and we praise you only. Amen. Amen. If we're to understand our text in context for chapter 9 today, it's important for us to understand that, again, we don't just pick out a chapter and verse out of any place, but, but it is strategically placed there by the very Holy Spirit of God. And so it's important for us to be good Bible readers that we understand and take a dive into these first 18 verses of chapter 9, um, that we understand that it is in the context of 1 Corinthians as a whole, but it's also in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is continuing a discussion, continuing an argument that he made last week as Pastor Justin um, preached that to us. Last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is addressing a question within the church on whether or not Christians should eat food that were, was once sacrificed to idols. So you have these pagan People who would worship pagan gods, they would take a goat, a chicken, whatever, out. They would kill uh, that sacrifice, and uh, then it would maybe be sold in a market or be given to them at a neighbor's house, and they're asking the question, hey, can we eat this food? And so Paul uses that illustration of food to then move into the importance of giving up our personal rights for those of us who are in Christ— that we have rights, and yet we freely, because we've been set free in Christ, we freely give up our rights for the sake of other people. If you have a strong, healthy marriage, you do this all the time. You give up your rights in order for the sake and the blessing and the love and the care of your wife, of your husband, of your children. This is what it means to be a mature person, is... And, and yet we live inside of a context and a country where we are all about people's rights, right? Don't tread on me. We love rights. People will get in arguments over the, all the time about what are human rights as Americans. As American, I should be given such and such. We are a people that are obsessed with being right. Being right has become a God even within our culture. We are demanding. And please don't, uh, there's lots of millennials in this room and older people, Gen Xers and in-betweeners and uh, baby boomers, man, they love to say things about uh, gen millennials and Gen Z people about being entitled groups of people. Do you know where they learned that from? Entitled Gen Xers and entitled baby boomers. They're the byproducts of that. So we need to be really careful, but again, understand and recognize that I and you are obsessed with being right and our rights. And so we learned last week within the context of what Paul is talking about is that if you're a follower of Jesus, then you freely give up your rights. That it's no longer about being right, but that because Jesus has transformed your life, then he has freed you up in order to serve the church. 
And serving the church means not just greeting people, which you need to do, or, or setting up chairs, which we should do, all those sorts of things, but literally the giving of time, talent, and treasure sacrificially to brothers and sisters in Christ. Pastor Justin summed up uh, last week's sermon of chapter 8 with this statement. So glad that Stephanie wrote it for him. We, y'all get that later. We, as Christians, must be willing to give up our rights for the great good and for the love of our brothers and sisters. We exercise our freedom to give up our right for the worship of Christ. As Jesus has transformed our lives, then we become very open-handed people. We become very generous People, it is no longer about our preferences, but it is rather about the greater good of the body of Christ. And this goes against the culture that is in Corinth, and it goes against the culture that is right here in this beautiful city of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Today's sermon is a continuation of, uh, of this thesis that is established in chapter 8. Last week, Paul, and through Pastor Justin, uh, teaches us the theology behind this idea of giving up your rights because you have been set free. He, he planted, and Pastor Justin did a fantastic job. You need to go back and listen to the sermon. We'll talk about last week's sermon and today's sermon in our small groups this Wednesday night. Um, but in that, we take the theology from chapter 8, and now Paul, like a good communicator, is going to now give an example of what he's talking about in chapter 8. He's going to use a personal example of freedom, uh, of rights that he has been given, that he freely gives up in order to bless this specific church in Corinth. So we're going to see the theology now be exampled. The theology is illustrated. The theology becomes practice. Having a bunch of knowledge that isn't practiced out is a waste of knowledge. All right? The Bible calls us to both, hearers and doers of the word. And Paul is going to establish that in today's uh, sermon. It's interesting that over the last couple of weeks, um, a few things have happened that, that I'm going to illustrate to you about this topic, this controversy that may be found inside of this text for some of you today. And I'm sure if any of you guys know that this is historically known as Pastor Appreciation Month, and I promise you, I did not plan this. We can just say this is the sovereignty of God and me having to talk about this today during Pastor Appreciation Month, which is a man-made thing, all right? We appreciate it, but it's, it's totally man-made, all right? But two things have happened recently to me that had me thinking about this and leading up to this sermon. One was, you guys know I, I hate Facebook, all social media really, and I actually hate that you're on there. It bothers me immensely, but you are free. It is a right that you have. I just think most of the stuff that's on there is absolutely ludicrous, and it's always amazing how smiley people on there that aren't in real life, okay? We love seeing pictures of your food. That's awesome. Thanks. Not so much. 
But anyway, my wife has one, and you know, I have to check her DMs all the time, make sure she's not talking to nobody she shouldn't be. And so I, I about 50 to 100 times a day, I check my wife's Facebook because she's real consistent. I don't want her to sneak nothing through me and delete it before I get on it, all right? So I'm looking at my wife's Facebook, and as I'm doing that, I guess it's because she's an admin for our, our Facebook page, and we post stuff about pastoring and church and all that. And so you get ads, right? So you can be thinking about an ad, and Amazon, who's reading your brain, comes up. Like you're scrolling, you're looking at dogs, but whatever you're wanting to buy with your brain comes up from an Amazon ad. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Big Brother is real. So this ad, I did not go searching for this. This ad pops up from a, a reputable pastoral leadership uh, site that says, Pastor Salary and sabbatical report, all right? And it's this report, Lifeway does this, the Southern Baptist does this, lots of organizations try to help churches come up with what pastors should be paid. And uh, I want to see where I was at, so I you know, spent hours looking at it. I didn't, that's a joke. But what I did do is I made the mistake of clicking on the comments. And when I clicked on the comments... Mm. How do I put this? There's lots of trolls on the internet. And I did not realize how opinionated people are about whether or not a pastor should be paid. And what was crazy is that you have both ends of the spectrum. You have one end of the spectrum where uh, there are people who are peddling the gospel. These are prosperity preachers. They're typically on TV. They ask you to bring up the money and drop the money on the altar, and then they do a little shimmy on it to make that, that multiply, right? They're late at night. They're looking at you. I'm talking to you. you got to send in your money, your seed money. And if you send in your seed money, then you look in your wallet later tonight. There's going to be $100 you didn't know was there. So everybody's like, take all my money, all right? They Michael Scott, they're sending money as much as possible to random people because they believe, hey, this will really happen, okay? So you have that end of the spectrum, right? Then you have the other end of the spectrum, and that's a mentality of, man, if, if these men, if these pastors are getting paid, then that's wrong, it's evil, they should be poor. If Jesus didn't have a place to lay their head, then why does our pastor or pastors have a place to lay their own? There's a poverty mentality. Both of these mentalities are wrong. One, again, overtly prosperity. The other is we got to make sure that our pastors are really poor. And both of those are an issue. And so these people, who are, many of them were even claiming to be Christians, are just blowing up the idea of pastors being paid. Now, another illustration is this. Is I, I don't know that if you know this about me, but I have a gym membership. And occasionally I go there a few times a year to drink coffee just to see if it looks the same. All right, I'm paying for it. I might as well have some coffee. So I go there, this is the gym, it looks the same, it's time for me to leave. But one day I decided to sit down to have a drink. You know, they got lots of seats in there. They make perfectly good seats, they're cushioned, 
right? As long as you're not lifting weights, they're perfectly fine. So I decided there was a bench sitting there. There's lots of people. I like the people watch. I put in my headphones. I was listening to nothing because that takes all the fun about listening to your conversations while I'm at the gym drinking my coffee. So I sit down at the gym and I am pretending to have, I have headphones in, but nothing is coming through them. And I am graciously listening to a conversation of two half-naked old men also not lifting weights, but talking at the gym. In between trying to, you know, navigate through the Instagram models, now videotaping themselves, lifting the yellow weights, and if you know what the yellow weights are at a gym, I don't know why you're doing that. They're like the one-pounders. Ooh, I need a video of this, right? They're doing squats every day, right? So through all of this stuff that's going on, I heard a gentleman talking about another pastor in town. And I heard him talking about how many millions of dollars this pastor makes a year at that church because it's a big church. Oh, man. You know, that blankety-blank, that guy right there, he's making millions working at that big church here in Bowling Green. I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't give them a dime. Because their pastor makes millions. And I was sitting there thinking about, well, I wonder where he gets his information. Because I've known that guy for 30 years. Well, not 30 years. I'm only 44. So that's bad math. I've known this guy since I was 19. And now I'm 44 years of age. And I spent a long time working for that man knowing that the church as a whole only brings in about $2.9 million a year. He was not making millions of dollars working at that church because they didn't bring in millions of dollars. Okay, But man, those guys who weren't churchgoers sure had a lot of opinions about this idea and about what should be happening. And so it's been interesting to see both, uh, I've been around prosperity people from Africa to Bowling Green, and also to see this mentality that when you start talking about the money of a church, or specifically that a pastor would drive a certain vehicle, live in a certain home, then that becomes a, a great place of debate. And so pa Paul is going to use that as an example, and that's what you've got to see it as. Today is not going to be an entire sermon about whether or not we should pay the pastors. Here's the skinny on that. Yes, you should. A church should pay their pastors. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. Rather, Paul is going to use that as a springboard, something from his own life, in order to teach something deep, deeper about the importance of giving up one's rights in order for the sake of the entire body. So he's using something very personal to him. So when we see this inside of the passage, is that he begins to use this example of should pastors be paid for ministry? Should Paul be paid for his ministry, for his proclamation, for his pastoring, for his preaching? Should Paul and other pastors be paid for that? 
What we see here, as the example here, is that he says, am I not free? Am I not the apostle? He goes on from here to talk about the importance of the people's lives that have been changed inside of the congregation as a, an example and a reference and a reflection of Paul's pastoral ministry. He goes on now in verse 3, look at your Bibles, this is my defense of those who would examine me, that he gives common sense examples of why pastors should be paid. Let's look at those quickly. One, his role, he is the apostle, he is the pastor, so he says, I, I should get paid. He used the example of, you know, pastors even need to drink. Do we not have the right to eat and drink, he says? He goes on with his common sense examples. Um, he should be able to have a wife if he desires to, right? He's asking all these rhetorical questions. He, he goes on to say, doesn't a pastor, he needs to work in order to provide for himself and, and to provide for his family. He goes on to use the example of a soldier. How does a soldier know what to do? He's being commanded by someone above him of higher rank, and then that soldier goes out and does the task or the mission given to him by that commanding officer. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a pastor, a missionary, a church planter, is called by God. It is God who is giving the mission. It is God who is giving the task, and he commands this soldier named Paul to go do these things. And so likewise, Paul uses that in verse 7 when he says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense. Don't you believe that soldiers should be paid, that they should be taken care of financially and their needs met? He goes on to use an example from um, gardening or being a farmer who plants a vineyard without eating some of its fruit. Isn't that common sense? Could you imagine having a large farm and starving to death? Though it's your farm, though you have worked the ground, you have plowed the ground, you have watered it, you have planted the seed, of course, you are going to eat some of the fruit of that labor in that garden. He goes on in that last part to uh, refer to the idea of having a flock, maybe some cows, maybe some, some goats, something that produces milk. And Paul is going to use, again, common sense language. And the, the payment of pastors is, is that if, if a pastor is like a shepherd who has a flock, should he not drink some of the milk? And the answer to those things is a revert, you know, a, a, a yes. This is common sense, right? None of you... Uh, work for free. There is a, a payment. You may serve, you may volunteer, those sorts of things, but there is a payment that is expected to be given to you for your labor. And likewise, if men, qualified men, are called by God to serve in the capacity of full-time ministry, then their provision by God comes through the church. Paul says this is common sense, but he goes on. He doesn't just talk about common sense. He's going to drop the Bible on them. What does he drop in the verses following? Uh, look at verse 8 with me. Do I say these things on human authority? Because like much of you, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, well, Pastor Eric, this is very self-serving of Paul. Or Pastor Eric, man, this is very self-serving. We know, we know you're crooked. We know that you're a con artist. You know that it's Pastor Appreciation Month, and when you're looking through this, and it's coming up for the budget in a few months, and so, hey, you need to talk about this so you can 
get that Escalade with 20s on it. I'd prefer a boat, just so, in case you're wondering. Okay. Trip to Fiji, <laughs> just in case, you know. But Paul is getting that feeling. He's getting that hot and sweaty, like, oh, this is really uncomfortable. What does he say, though? It's not just common sense. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. What's he quoting there? He's quoting the Old Testament. I believe it's the book of Deuteronomy. What it's talking about. I know a lot of you guys have ox at your house. But what it's talking about is that you would hook up ox to a yoke, right? These big, you know, bull-looking, strong animals. And you plow a field while having these two animals. So you would plow a feet a wheat field, and in doing so, as that animal, that animal of burden is working that, he is serving, he is laboring in that field, in that wheat field. As he does that, every so often he gets a little snack to the side of the same wheat that he's plowing. Does he get the entire field? No. But are you going to starve the workhorse? No. So Paul uses common sense language. Paul uses the Old Testament. And then for an extra trump card played, Paul uses words from Jesus. He goes on here in verse, into verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than to put obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. They quote Jesus. Paul quotes Christ, who is the ultimate example for those of us who are in Christ. The ultimate example for all humans, really. But for those of us who are in Christ, it's like, man, we pay special attention to the words of Jesus, don't we? And so Paul uses in this great auditor, he's such a great writer, maybe even a better writer than he was a preacher and communicator, Paul had the ability to understand logic, that in chapter 8, he's saying to the people, we give up our rights for the sake of the whole body of believers. As, as, as Pastor Justin illustrated last week, one of the most common ways to illustrate that is through the idea of drinking adult beverages, alcohol. And Pastor Justin illustrated that he as a man, as a person of age, as a person who is not an addict toward alcohol, should be free to indulge in, I think Pastor Justin said, a beer. But let's all face it, he's drinking something with an umbrella in it. (laughs) Just joking. It's got two umbrellas. Uh, And it's got ice in it, and it's crushed up, right? He did just go to the beach. So Pastor Justin says he is free to do that. He is not an addict toward those things. But what do we have in our midst? 
We have members and people who attend who do struggle with those things. And so he gives up that right that he has in order for the sake of of the gospel, for the witness of the gospel to not cause a weak brother or sister to stumble in that way, he freely gives that up. I will not participate in this because it is not needed. I have all that I need in the person and work of Jesus and his vine, the fruit of his vine, is of much more value than the fruit of that vine. I do not need this. Ever in my life for the sake of the whole. And so Paul continuing that kind of argument. All right. I have music preferences. I have uh, lots of preferences as a person and as a pastor. And I've had to learn through the years to go, okay, what are personal preferences for myself that the Bible is kind of gray in? That there's got to be a lot of freedom and grace in this area because the Bible doesn't really address it. All right? And so in that, you have to be willing to say, man, I, I, I'm willing to give up my personal preference for, for the greater good of the body. We ultimately answer to Jesus and to each other, but Jesus first. And so we lay down our lives for the sake of the brethren, for the sake of the sisterhood. We lay down our lives as people because we are completely free in Christ not to be bound to anything on this earth other than him. We see this in Paul's example. Now, Paul goes on. He explains that as the example, all right? This is a personal thing. He has every right to be paid by the Corinthians. But what does Paul say about himself? Verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than to have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Now, this isn't arrogant boasting. This is a, a joy. It's different than our arrogant type of boasting that we have. He's talking about a, a joy of knowing that he can serve this body that is in Corinth by, without taking any financial gain from them. He's deserving of it. He should be paid by them. But he refrains from taking it from them. He gives up this right toward the Corinthians. Now, again, if we're going to be good Bible readers, we have to understand, does Paul ever take money from a church? Yes, he does. He is chosen, for whatever reason that we're not given, at this particular time and moment, in this season, toward the Corinthians, that he will not take funding from them. All right? Is Paul saying that all pastors should not be paid? No. No. He's saying that they should be paid. He's using these other things as an example. But Paul is saying that pastors should be paid. Qualified men who serve and are called as pastors should be paid. Should they be poor? Absolutely not. Should they be living prosperous, gold toilets, riding jet planes, all of that? Absolutely not. What is a fair wage for that qualified man in that season, in that place, and in that time, then he should be paid that. In case you're wondering right now, is this some ploy out of myself again? 
No, I actually think that you pay me a fair wage. And the church has also been gracious enough to allow me to do, I'll use the young people language, side hustles to help my family. All right? So this is not some ploy. You pay me a fair wage. I've never asked for more money. Okay? Um, The church pays me a fair wage, and they give me the freedom to be a professor, to work side hustles, and all those sorts of things to take care of my family. As long as this is my full-time job, right? This is my priority outside my wife. You're my priority. Those other things are on my own time, okay? And I, I appreciate that. So this, like Paul, is not some asking, some ploy. I'm asking for more provision, as Paul addressed here. No, he's saying, I should be paid. I'm freely towards you as the church. I'm giving up that right. However, other pastors, they should be paid in these places. They should be well taken care of. The Bible would tell us in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to this young pastor named Timothy, and he says, let the elders who rule be well considered of what worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So he's quoting again from the Old Testament. He's continuing this train of thought when he's telling another young pastor, hey, no, you should be paid and so should the other pastors be paid if they're making their living by being a gospel minister. This is why we pay for missionaries. This is why we give generously. Pastor Justin used last week the Vanderpools who are here with us, members at our church. They were missionaries in India for three years. They were part of the the International Mission Board. What is the International Mission Board? It's the largest sending organization on the planet of sending believers to foreign countries. Specifically, our heartbeat is in that 1040 window. That's a place on the planet that has the, the least amount of reached people. And so what happens is, is that Christians, specifically Baptist Christians, give to this organization in order to send them so that they can simply labor in the spreading of the gospel of that place and don't have to find other jobs while they're working there. This is the calling of the Bible. This is the calling of the scripture. We give up our right to our pocketbooks in order that the gospel goes forward. For the sake of the whole, the Bible would say we give generously. That means, it actually, the word is hilariously. It means that you're giving so much to the church that it's laughable. That it's laughable. Not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe <laughs> I've given so much more than you. Look at them. They're, no, it's, it's like, no, you're, you're writing out that check. You're giving that much, so much money that if people knew how much that you were giving, like it, it would seem like, oh my gosh, like why, why would you give so much to the church? Because the gospel is of the utmost value. Paul would say that this, this money over here is it's nothing compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ and to the spreading of the gospel. You see that as more valuable than your you know, $6 coffee. I love $6 coffee, specifically from Spencer's. Shameless plug. It's delicioso. But the gospel is more valuable. The gospel is more valuable. 
living in a smaller home, driving a 2004 Honda Accord. It's gold, though. <laughs> Don't be jealous. You know, eating ramen noodles and hot dogs to sustain yourself. is for the sake of the gospel to go forward, it is better for us to eat hot dogs and ramen noodles than to not give to his mission. Because brothers and sisters, in case y'all didn't know this, like America is like this compared to the entire world. And our tendency is only to compare ourselves to other Americans. When the gospel says if they're Christians, it's a global thing. And whatever we're doing here this morning at its core should be transferable to every single church on the planet. Everything outside of that is preference. It's context. Context is important. But it is not king. We see here that in this that Paul is saying, yes, we should pay pastors, but for him specifically, he gives that up. Notice verse 16. He says these words, woe to me. Whoa, I know y'all use that a lot, only when you're riding a horse. Whoa, right? We don't know, hey, whoa, child, if you touch that, okay? We don't, we don't have that kind of language, but the Bible does. And it's important when Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul is saying, whether you pay me, whether you don't pay me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to preach the gospel. Now, the, the interesting there is the word woe. All right. If you have your own Bible, circle the word woe there. In the original language, in the Greek language that this was originally written, uh, this is one of those words, and I'm not going to like drop some wordsmith word on you right now in the sense of what this is called, plus I would slaughter it and you'd think I'm speaking in tongues, which I wouldn't be. But it is the type of word that you say that it's, it, it, it's a word that is spelt and said the way that it is, sounds, right? So in English... Bang! Right? Thanks. I just woke some of you up. Thank you for waking up. I appreciate that. Others of it, it's like uh, zippity doo or zoom. Right? In the Greek language, that's what's happening right here in this passage. The word woe is like saying the word bang or, or saying zip or zoom or, or pew pew if you're a Star Wars person. Whatever it is. Okay? You take a word and it makes that sound. The, the Greek word here in that is ooai. So, if you anybody ever watched like Univision back in the 90s on cable? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I didn't know his Espanol, all right? But every so often they had these like, on Univision was the Hispanic channel. Some of y'all follow me. But you've heard this before. You'll hear certain um, Hispanic like actors and actresses. They go, ay, 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 right, when something bad happens. You follow me? Ay, ay, ay. That's exactly, well, not exactly, but close. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care who you are. Not exactly, because they usually, but, but you get, it's like when something happens bad, right? In these soap, Hispanic soap operas, they go, ay, 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 and they zoom up on their face. <laughs> now you know what I'm talking about? The two of you? Man, I got to get a television, people. All right, so, no, you don't. In the original language, this, this Greek word that is here is ooai. 
And it, come, it, it comes across, though, like you can imagine that when Paul says this, he's saying, Ooh-ah-ee! And, it, and it's this place of great distress. It's this idea of like, if, you, if, you were to, if I was to tell my wife today, I'm about to throw you into a pit of snakes, she would go, Ooh-ah-ee! Right? Like bad things are going to happen. If you were to tell me, you're going to have to jump out of this perfectly good aluminum can in the middle of the sky flying at 35,000 feet to live, I'd be like, Ooh-ah-ee! Like this is going to be really bad. Okay? And so Paul is saying that of himself. He's saying great judgment will come upon me if I do not preach the gospel. That's why pay doesn't matter. See, Paul's calling was different than my calling as a pastor. I have not had a Damascus Road experience. I was not knocked off my horse. I was not blinded, right? I did not have Jesus show up and says, you will do this in the flesh. Paul's calling was one of enslavement. That's the way that he viewed it. I am enslaved to the king of kings. That's why he often called himself a bondservant. What is a bondservant? A bondservant was a slave that was set free, but continued to serve the master because they so loved the master. Typically, that person would get a nose ring or an earring to signify it. That's not new and hip. It's historical. And that's the way Paul viewed his calling. This woe to me is a cry out of woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, should pastors have that same mentality? Absolutely. And I can tell you that two of them here do. And that's Pastor Todd and Pastor Justin. We are lucky to serve amongst men who take Jesus and the preaching of the gospel extremely serious. Are they perfect men? Absolutely not. You heard Pastor Justin two weeks ago. <laughs> almost split our church over a comment about, I won't even repeat it, it's so unholy. I like all of you, right? He repented of it last week, okay, in the sermon. But I'm not going to repeat what that brother said. It's unholy language. Are they perfect men? Nope. Ask their wives. Ask their kids. But I've seen these men overwhelmed with the weightiness at the reality that they would stand before God and how they pastored this church. So is the calling, yes, for all men who are called to be pastors that that weightiness of preaching the gospel, absolutely. And so is our reward. Paul understood that his reward was in heaven. Paul took his calling extremely, extremely serious. He preached the gospel, which I'm going to spend, this sets us up for where with the text and where I'll take us next week in looking at this. In all of this, what do we see? We see the example of Jesus. Why is Paul able to do this? Because Jesus did this. Jesus, we should weep every time we hear the words, the incarnation of Jesus. 
if we understood the magnitude of what it must have been like for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of all creation to step out of the throne room of heaven to take on flesh and to humble himself in that way, if we understood, ladies and gentlemen, the depth of those few words, we would weep every time they came out of our mouths. He gave up his rights for the sake of the church. Likewise, we should as well. Similar to that, Jesus on the night, and this leads us to our time of communion. Jesus on the night that he would, on the night that he would be betrayed and the night before he would be crucified, he gathers the, the, the group of followers, his disciples, into a small upper room. They're going to have the Passover meal. They're going to eat bread and drink of the, the vine, of the, the wine of the vine of God. But on this night, Jesus is going to uh, transition this from focusing on something that happened in the Old Testament called the Passover in the book of Exodus. Look it up. It's great. They've been doing this now for thousands of years as a history lesson and a reminder of what God did in the Exodus. And yet they find themselves on this historical holiday, if you will. And Jesus transitions them thinking about something in history to thinking about something that is present in the room himself. But what does Jesus do before they eat? He strips down. He feels a basin of water he gathers a towel and he washes feet this is such a, an awkward moment of someone giving up their rights for the sake of everyone else that what does Peter do oh no 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 Jesus, you are not going to wash my feet. And what does Jesus say? If I can't wash your feet, this is Eric's standard version. If I can't wash your feet, then you won't be with me. And what, is, what does Peter do then? Like... Wash all of me. Wash every bit of me, Lord. As we've often said, what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? You wash feet. You, they should have been, to use cultural understanding, they should have been like waving palm branches and feeding Jesus grapes. He should have never lifted a finger as king. And yet he says in the Gospel of Mark, I came not to be served this time, but I came to serve. What an example of giving up all of your rights for the sake of the church. And so I ask you, every individual, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus in here, are you giving up your rights for the sake of the church? It's hard to do if you're not a member of one. 
Actually, you can't. But also as a collection of people called Mission Church, we need to not only ask ourselves as individual, we need to ask ourselves as a church body, is that mark of Christ on us? Do we serve each other sacrificially? Do we easily give up our rights for the sake of the gospel? Or is it just about you? Or just about me? Just about my personal preferences? And what I want? Or is it about giving the most glory and honor to God? for the good of his people. We live open-handed to brothers and sisters. We give up our rights. We go against what the American demonic evil is telling. Not that all of America, please don't email me. All America is not evil. But if, if we don't think that it is, it is not all good either. And you're being discipled by a culture that says, get as much as you can get. It is all about you. And this is being taught from the time that your children start watching cartoons for the rest of their lives. They're being indoctrinated by a consumer mentality of get all that you can get. And that is counter to the scripture that says, Give all you can get. Because eventually, a basin and a towel leads to a cross. And that's the same cross that Jesus would tell his disciples, if you're going to be one of my disciples, pick up your cross and follow me. Mission Church, what kind of people will we be? Let's pray.